Welcome back to This Film Not Ready, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. I'm Eric. And I'm Curtis. And we're here to talk about movies we saw this week with full spoilers and a twist on the podcast formula. On this show, there are winners and a loser. The loser is the person with the most points. You get points in one of two ways. You can either claim an opinion is fact, like Dawn of the Dead is better than Army of the Dead. Or you can say something subjective and either take the point, like... Army of the Dead could have been set anywhere and it wouldn't have made any difference. Anywhere that there's a safe that didn't factor Las Vegas into it. Or you can have 60 seconds to support the reasoning you formed your opinion using objective details avoiding the buzzer. Such as, um, there really is nothing inherent to the Las Vegas of it all other than the look of some zombies. And so the appeal, the idea that there was going to be an invasion into that uh, particular city... Uh, feels like it was setting up a certain idea. Even if you look at the poster, you can notice that there are neon lights, coins flying, diamonds in the eyes of a skull, a slot machine. The idea is that it's building up, that the setting is going to have some sort of significance to the story. And then at no, at, at no point that I can recall in the story, do they actually use something significant and specific to Las Vegas as opposed to New York City or other places where something would have a locked down trapped vault in order to support what's going on. So, I got a little harder on that than I originally planned. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to talk about whether I actually liked or disliked Army of the Dead because right, we don't obviously. do that on the show. But no. I don't think I've ever talked that seemingly negatively about it before now. <laughs> So, uh, so there's one rule that only applies to us, the hosts, and yes, I promise we plan on having guest stars, hopefully. The thing that applies to us is a crutch phrase, if either of us say, it's interesting, instead of, it's good or bad, because we, and if we do that three times, we get one point, you know, it's sort of to get rid of us being able to kind of replace every word with it's interesting. So, whatever. The big question, Curtis, what did you watch this week? This week, I watched Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Ghostbusters 1984, and Chaplin from 1992. That's interesting, Curtis. Why do you have to... Oh, shoot, one for me. Okay, right off the bat. But why did you have to say uh, Ghostbusters 1984? Uh... Because Ghostbusters 2016 is still referred to as Ghostbusters 2016 because when it began its marketing campaign, it was just called Ghostbusters and was changed to Ghostbusters Answer the Call after Backlash. Question for you. Have you ever heard anyone not refer to it as Ghostbusters 2016? No. So it's why all... do you have to refer to Ghostbusters as Ghostbusters 1984? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Internet. I'm calling you out. For everyone who complains about that, even you, James Rolfe, I'm very curious on what exactly you feel like was done wrong to the original. I would like this information because as far as I know, re-releases on Blu-ray, upscales, a 4K release, steel books, more merchandise coming about the original because of the property trying to sell and bank on the release of a new one. I, I, I can't pick out anything particularly wrong that happened personally. So, um... Now that that's out of the way, I'm, not, just, I'm, I'm feeling opinionated today. Not that I'm we're going to be able to get into those because we can't discuss what's good or bad about the movies. But not good or bad, but I'm just, I'm still, I'm feeling, I don't know. So, um, to this week, this week I uh, watched Army of the Dead, uh, which we both did, and yes. I watched uh, Waterworld. And I've seen Mortal Kombat Annihilation really recently, we just didn't record on a week when I watched it. And, um, of course, you know, 
Ghostbusters. Yep. I have seen Chaplin, but it's been a long time, so I won't be as useful. But uh, no, let's let's move on and let's get into the one that uh, that uh, everyone obviously wants to talk about first, which is uh, Army of the Dead. Uh, I was gonna say Mortal Kombat Annihilation, but sure, let's do yours. All right, so Army of the Dead. So there's there's directed by Zack Snyder, who also directed cinematography by Zack Snyder, story by Zack Snyder, yes. written by Zack Snyder. Completely replaced an actor with another actor based on millions supplied from Netflix and by Zack Snyder. <laughs> there is not a single moment where he doesn't have his fingers on your eyeballs. I guess that's a subjective way of putting it. But what I'm factually stating is that every single frame involves such shallow lensing that never does your eye have the ability to wander onto anything that Zack Snyder personally doesn't want you to directly be looking at. Right. Zack Snyder has complete control over this entire project from uh, almost every aspect of the of, of, of the film. Uh, apart from performing every role himself, yes. Apart from that, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, so the obvious significance for Army of the Dead, the last zombie movie that Zack Snyder did, to my memory, is... Dawn of the Dead. Yes. There was something, I don't believe it was zombie related, that he shot using an iPhone uh, during the time that he, you know, walked away because of the tragedy with Justice League. But I have not seen that. I don't right. Know. And the, the significant thing about that is uh, that uh, Dawn of the Dead was written by James Gunn. And James Gunn was uh, kind of... Partially. Helped, partially. He was, he was one of the main writers. He was a co-writer. And, and James Gunn, specifically on social media, was like very active in trying to promote this thing. But one of the things that we talked about before we even saw this is, like, based on the trailer, it looks a lot like something that James Gunn would write. Uh, like, there are a lot of similarities to, like, say, Guardians of the Galaxy, where there's a lot of neon coloring. There, There's a lot of uh, old uh, classical music sprinkled throughout the uh, throughout the uh, movie. And they're, they're, it's almost like something that I would expect from a James Gunn movie. Question, though. Sure. If you took out the credits... And you took out the glow sticks, which are inevitably going to be neon. Mm-hmm. Where did you see a lot of neon coloring? In the movie itself? Not a lot. I'm, I'm referring specifically to the trailer. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Okay. So so you feel like there's a loose association between right. Guardians of the Galaxy and, and this. Right. Now, throughout the entirety of, of Army of the Dead, the movie, there are like kind of renditions of classical music. Of like like from like seventies well, eighties straight up. There's there's one adaptation for the opening. We we got to talk about the opening sequences. Okay, <laughs> there's an opening sequence which could be a short film of just two characters who could be the police officers from Halloween 2018 talking about a sandwich, but they're talking about you know aliens. Yeah. Um. I honestly I I uh, and then the flip side because I'm not about to say anything about my opinion. <laughs> Um, you have a married couple, and the guy makes the decision that you know what should kick off the Zompocalypse is a roadhead. <laughs> you know, Zack Snyder, you can definitely recognize a movie directed by him, hands down. Yes. Question, though. Would you call the opening of this movie Zach, very Zack Snyder? No. I don't think so. I, I Maybe the, the muscle military aspect muscle, of it. Yeah. Like, but... But I've never seen him get this, and this is for lack of a better term, I don't mean this as in the characters are bad, but for the characters to be sort of 
con well no because they're not even really doing anything mean-spirited they're just like i don't i don't know how to explain it it's just like countryside sex appeal looney tunes alien theories giant explosion military protocol it, it's so many different tones yeah like in, uh, in a short span of time it's like it almost feels like that opening scene was was written by multiple different directors. Like I could see, like maybe a bit of Quentin Tarantino in, in, in there with some of the 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 the, the, the weird dialogue. A uh, bit of Zack Snyder, maybe a bit of James Gunn. Like I I I, I can see like we're gonna have to have a whole episode on Quentin Tarantino dialogue sometime. I know, but like that that's kind of what the opening sequence felt like. It's like this amalgamation of of different like directors trying to like get their thing out there, and then it 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 feels completely different from the rest of the movie. Yeah, yes, we never return to the sense of of humor. Well, we it's like the sense of humor gradually is less and less focused on over the course of the movie. Right. Cuz like you you start with this idea the zombies, you know, escaped because of roadhead or whatever, and then mm. there's horror mixed into it. And during the opening, the contrast of Las Vegas versus the zombie outbreak, which is the opening credits sequence. Yes. Um, and then you have introducing characters in ways that are played for comedy. Like mm. the, the guy who's getting the kill shots on his, his social media, like his YouTube channel right. version kind of thing. And then the Tignataro. Tig, yeah, the person who refuses to listen to any details of the mission because she's going to get $2 million. Yep. Uh, that's I hate fine. my life. Two million dollars would change my life. That's you know. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so it's like that. And then for a while, things are are taken seemingly very seriously. And then a lot of the gore is played for reactions. Yeah. Like they we linger on it. Very quick things happening. Uh, and then I will say there's like some ideas that seem comedic, like letting the zombies set off the traps right but like it just it trickles out mm. the 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 parts that are played for comedy and that's uh, and so <laughs> uh so you have this opening that has one tone yep. then you have the opening sequence which you think is definitely attempting to set the tone for the movie right but i want to pit i want to i want to for a second now i just want to one of the things i want to do is pitch an alternate movie to you sure go ahead a Las Vegas heist. Mm-hmm. Zombie apocalypse outbreak happens in the middle. We saw how fast right. in the opening of the movie the turnaround rate is for a person to die and come back as a zombie. Right. Uh, that I do like the idea of that because then you have like this escalating threat going out throughout the movie that's like going on behind the scenes. It's not the main focus, and I, so I'm you just... could play that up for laughs and also some and also have some serious horror elements. Throughout the movie. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm imagining a scenario where the box from the beginning of the movie, what came out of that was the uh, Queen and King zombies. Right. And they, the military would have been already built muscular versions of zombies who came in and the whole population is going on. Mm -hmm. When these people are trying to understand why security seems so busy... Their heist is going surprisingly well. Mm -hmm. They basically make it down to the vault where they have to crack the vault. Power outage happens. Yep. And you find out that there's a military response going on. They get blocked in. Like all of the, the things that are dropped is like a military quarantine that happens like at the 
end of the first act of the movie. Right. And then throughout the movie, they could get updates via the television sets laid out throughout Las, Las Vegas, because that's what happened in this movie. And you could have the threat escalate to, to the point where, like in this movie, the military has no choice but to release a nuclear warhead to eradicate the zombie threat. Yeah, because they believe nobody is uninfected that's in there. Exactly. You could even have it be that there are some survivors in there and that they have to decide between saving the money and saving the people and so many other things. Like, you could... You could... Uh, that 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 is a concept that I'd be very interested to see and would allow you to have a story that takes place in live Las Vegas. Right. You have the... Uh... I forget what they're called, like Screechers or something, but they're the traditional Romero slow-walking zombies mm-hmm. uh, that uh, in a horde are dangerous, but alone are not so dangerous. And then you have the uh, Zack Schneider zombies that, are, I guess, are the alpha zombies is well, the, what they call them. They're faster. The Danny Boyle zombies. The, the, the 28 Days Later zombies. There we go. The Danny Boyle zombies. Uh, the ones that are faster and uh, are intelligent enough to a point where they can form a, a uh, societal hierarchy and, like, can command their own army. Well, that's... You're right about... That's the Zack Snyder, the... the, the or Slash... Uh, we talked about R- Return of the Living Dead recently. Yes. That's the unique to this movie. That they mm. might be aliens. Yes. That it might be an alien species living in a dead mm. body. Could be aliens. It could be robots. Because some of them are just kind of, like, glowing inside their head, too. Like, it, it's weird. Yeah, but it was the same way the fetus was glowing. Was, I saw some people point out online that those were robots. I didn't understand how they missed that that was the same blue glow on the 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 baby. I've seen that. Like I I don't remember the blue glow on the baby, so I'll have to go back. Yeah, I'll, that's I'll, what that's what faded away when he pulled it out. It is okay. All right. Yeah. And so um yeah I I didn't understand like but but that that aside that was the the significant to Zack Snyder I think kind of twist on it that there were there's three tiers you have your Romero zombies you have your uh your the ones that are infected by the lead zombies are your 28 days later type runner gunner kind of zombies right and then you have intellectual zombies that yes. are are cre- making everyone in their place and give orders and yeah and and it, it makes and what further goes to the point of them being the, the Zack Schneider zombies is, the, is is these alpha zombies, the ones that... Well, that, the fact that there's a zombie baby, for one. Well, Dawn of the Dead. Well, well, that, but also Zack Snyder has confirmed that, that, that these zombies can actually have sex and... And have off and have zombie offspring. Like that's well, exactly actually, like that's what the movie did. Mm, uh, well, this is this is and this is to speak to the movie. What they didn't put in the movie. Zack Snyder's quoted as saying, "I'm still wondering if I should tell this. The male zombies rape human females, and then they have human hybrid zombie offsprings. It's a new take on the zombie genre. So the baby that we see is not even everything they can do. He's he's." The idea was to try and find a a new way to branch off of what we think the mythology of zombies are. I feel like you had already done this by giving a hierarchy and a reasoning for different layers and levels of functioning in zombies. This isn't the first time Zack Snyder's used, like, like rape in one of his movies, too. Like, it's it's very, it's it's, it's like a, it's also in Sucker Punch. It's in Sucker Punch. It's in 300. Mm -hmm. It's in... Watchmen. I really hope it's not in the Owls of Gahul. 
<laughs> I haven't um, seen it. Going off of what you said with with the with with this being a a Las Vegas heist movie, and it is technically that it just doesn't. It just takes place after the Zompocalypse has already happened, and they're like in the days not happened yet because the Zompocalypse is only confined. It's, it's, it's only confined to, to one space. Yeah, to uh, Las Vegas. So zombies are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, and uh, it's up to and uh, you have one person. Uh, Scorpion from the new Mortal Kombat movie. Cannot remember his name right now. Hiroki Sonata. There we go. Uh, uh, hires Dave Batista to get a group of people together to go into Vegas, get some money that he wants back. It's later re- revealed that uh, he never wanted the money. He didn't care. Um, I care about the money because the 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 uh, the zombies themselves are more valuable because they can be used as a weapon of war. Oh, that's right. The character I can't talk about on this podcast. No, because you will get all the buzz. You will get all the points if you talk about and this person. you don't know why. <laughs> Although hopefully, I, I really hope a lot of you out there can guess. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm a little worried if I keep saying that I can't talk about something that it's going to tip my opinion and i'm gonna have to start getting buzzed for saying i can't talk about something we'll see but we Uh, haven't set that rule yet no um the character who gets eaten by a tiger character who gets eaten by a tiger now there are i i've i've heard i've heard complaints about how long that that scene is from Red Letter Media. Specifically I haven't heard from, complaints from anyone else. Specifically from 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 uh, Red Letter Media and how it didn't need to be as 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 long as it is. That's uh, the thing. I, I also they they said that there that scene where they have traps around the vault did use the Las Vegas setting. I I disagree. I feel like no. The only scene that kind of used, the only traps. scene yeah the only the only scene that used the Las Vegas setting was when they're running away from the zombies after going down to the vault and the fight takes place in the casino. It's the only time Las Vegas is really yeah. utilized in the movie. But it's not like you could have like run by and like uh pulled a a thing and it you you gain a you get like a all like jackpot and then coins fall out and they slip on the coins or something. You know, there's nothing that actually uses yeah, no. that setting. But with the whole tiger thing, like the way that I see it is is the person that is dying is the worst person in the quote movie. Unquote. Yeah, quote quote unquote the worst person. You gotta justify it. Yeah, uh, I mean you gotta do the thing I didn't want to do. You gotta okay. justify it. Well, uh, by the worst person, he is obviously there as a way to uh, like his purpose of going into Vegas is, is is to make sure that everyone else dies so that he can get out with a zombie head. Fair point. Uh, and. Uh, has little care as to what his actions will do to the surrounding, uh, to, uh, uh, to not, not, not just him for some reason. Like, it, it, it seems like he doesn't care about his own survival because he does, like, really, uh, he does things that, that, that actively will draw attention to himself, like sawing off the head of the queen, which will act. Well, he wouldn't know that that would function that way. Well, but... he, well, he didn't know that that would fun, um, um, function that way, but he's been in this place before as, We've seen with the other teams going by, so he knows how these zombies should function, supposedly, unless the person who went in before wasn't him. I I don't I don't think they've been in there before. No, no, I'm saying he has before because when? other I'm because there are other teams that have gone in to try and rob the yeah. bank, but we don't know that that would. I mean, the they they he he also instantly says that he's never been here before, but he knows where everything is. You know, with the casino scene when they found the 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 the, the other blueprints, 
Mm-hmm. He claims he's never been there before, and then they start asking where, 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 where things are, and he starts to point them out. Interesting. It gives me the impression that he's been there before, so he's obviously lying because... But then, yeah, that's so that's interesting, because that's something I don't think they ever pull the trigger on reveal-wise. No, they, 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 they didn't. Now, I was waiting for someone to point this out in the film, and no one did. Hmm. Tignataro was in it. Yeah, you know? that's, 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 that's about it. We can't, we can't speak, we can't speak. <laughs> to anything. Um, yeah, so, yeah. you know. Um, so everyone out there who's like, are you better say something positive about Tignataro? Like, we're not allowed to, that's not how it works. <laughs> so, um, and that is. That's, uh, that's pretty much Army of the Dead. I, I'm, I'm. I feel like there's gonna be gradually... That's the thing. The hard thing is there's so much to talk about about a movie that's trying to be something that there wouldn't be so much to talk about. Right. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Mm-hmm. There's a... Suckers! There's <laughs> a line in that movie. It is a line in that movie. Uh, there's, there's a... It, it, it's weird. There's a lot to say about Mortal Kombat and about Mortal Kombat uh, Annihilation, but also not a lot to say at all. Yeah, it's like, like in that kind of weird space. I feel it's, like it, all I have to say about it is the the characters' designs hmm. feel more in tune with the images from the games than the 1995 Mortal Kombat movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie does not. Not take place during a tournament. Um, Raiden's actor was switched to James Ramar. Yeah. Who is a reported fan favorite from Warriors. The Warriors. Okay. And is Dexter's dad. Yep. And is in a surprising amount of things. Um, but he's recognizable. And they push harder into the mythology behind this. And... That is pretty much everything that I have to say about it. Because the CGI work and the commentary you can put on that aside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's stunt choreographed, but they, they didn't stick to practical effects. And when they did, they didn't really put a lot of money behind it, from what I know. No, like the, the, so. the, the, the CG animation is very stiff, too. Like, the scene right after Sonya's mud fight with, uh, with, with uh, Malene... <laughs> Uh, where this this creature Sonya's mud fight with Molina, <laughs> where there's this 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 creature comes to life behind her, and Jax is just kind of beating on it, and it kind of like has has this janky kind of movement, and then after a while, it just kind of sinks into the ground, and the ground is not affected at all behind it; it's just like going away. You know what? I do have one more thing to talk about, and it is the direction of this movie, and I think that scene that you said says everything that needs to be said about this movie. What what the mud fight? <laughs> Well, the director was like, what if we set your guys fighting a mud pit? And the actresses were like, aren't we supposed to talk about in the scene how, like, our mother is, like, Sindel and how there's there's stuff going on? Let's fight in a mud pit. You guys will roll around. We're martial artists. That's supposed to be a martial arts, like, we'll fight in the mud pit. Like, it'll be, it'll be cinematic, he may have said. There'll be mud splashing across the screen. There'll be... You know, some kind of... I don't know what he said, but, you know, there's so much footage of that. And then you think, okay. And then it's supposed to result in a giant monster, like a mini-boss to fight. So, Jax, come here. Like, my name is not Jax, I'm an actor. Jax, come here. (laughs) And go stand right there. 
Roll. Now, just punch the air for a little bit. Is this, like, the first shot? Is this, like, one thing? He's like, yeah, let's... We're just gonna get multiple takes if you throw in the punches so we can kind of, like, intercut. Just go ahead. One shot, he just punches. And that's it. Yeah, like... I, I, I feel like that scene was, like, put in there to, to justify Jax having the, these metal arms. Because when you're first in, in, introduced to Jax with these metal arms... He doesn't do anything. Like he he fails in his first fight. He he doesn't have control over him. He gets he gets one stuck in this concrete uh, thing. You mean and, when like Cyrax and them are right? And, okay. and 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 Jax is fighting Cyrax because he chooses to fight Cyrax. And in the end, it's Sonya and her kiss of death that kills Cyrax. Okay. Jax does n- nothing in the fight except distract Cyrax while Sonya is fighting the other people, and then Sonya kills Cyrax. Mm-hmm. So up until Jax makes this monster go away, he's done nothing of use. Yep. In in the whole movie. Well, and also, I, I just... The... The fact that this is a sequel directly to the events of the first movie. Mm-hmm. And yet, there is so little building on that. Right. You know, for, for example, there's an implication at the end of Mortal Kombat 95 that Sonya and Johnny Cage are an item. Yeah. But his death... She's not looking for revenge, ever. No, they tried to set it up that way because she has a line that makes it seem like that. Uh, no one told me that Johnny had to die. Walks on, oh, yeah. never brought up again. Yeah, well, yeah, and to be fair, she didn't know Johnny before Mortal Kombat. And I, I don't think it was really that much developed, the idea that they were going to be an No, it wasn't. Like, nothing was. Yeah, so... so like, like in, 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 in Annihilation... Apparently, Johnny and Sonya Blade are a thing, even though there's nothing to build up to that mm. in, in the first one. Uh, Liu Kang and uh, Katana are a thing, even mm. though there's nothing to build up to that in the first one. Well, she saves his life by telling him the riddle of the water. There are too many characters. Subjective. Yes. Um, my reasoning is there are characters that do nothing in this movie. There are many reptiles from 95's Mortal Kombat? Uh, yeah, uh, like one that comes to mind is uh, Shiva, who is there to have one argument with Motaro, and then she dies, in, 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 and then she dies immediately after when Liu Kang is coming to uh, save uh, Katana. And, and that's Aramac it. and Cyrax and Melina and... Mo- I don't know why Melina was there other than to be there. She has a fight scene with... Uh, with a Sonya, and then she's gone from the rest of of, of the movie. It's, there's there, are, I, I don't see the reason why there need to be so many characters here, other than it's a Mortal Kombat movie. We have to have Mortal Kombat characters and showcase their their moves. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Anybody have any doubts which movie I'm referring to? Because I'm talking about Ghostbusters. You're all like, wait, does he mean Ghostbusters? From the- all right, I'm off my soapbox. That's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Uh, I started watching this movie again because uh, it, it was late at night last night, and I wanted something to like help me go to sleep. So I just I, I, I put it in, and then in the morning I really wanted to watch it, so I watched it. Uh, there's a lot of one a big thing that I didn't realize until like this most re- recent viewing of of ghostbusters is a uh, at the very end of the movie like i there's that well first of all there 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 are there 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 there's a lot of sexual 
things going on within Ghostbusters. So you, like you have yeah. like you have the the the, the uh, ghost blowjob of uh, Dan Aykroyd. Zool. Zool being that. Uh the way that they summon Zool is uh I just realized this for the first time is uh is uh, Dana Barrett and Lewis Tully have sex on top of the uh mm-hmm. thing and I I didn't realize this until now because I, I I was watching it they get up from a laying p- position and Lewis Tully's pants are are unzipped yeah. and everything. So like they 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 literally bring in the spawn of of the, the destroyer by having sex and and uh, What's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot. There's a lot of questions I would like to ask anyone who was, uh, who has a strong memory of seeing Ghostbusters in theaters originally, like when it, right when it came out. Right. Um, like, you know, how they felt about how it became such a family friendly, like kid movie type property. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, it, it is PG, right? It is PG because it's pre Temple of Doom. Right. But yeah, so it, it, it it's it, it's kind of like the Back to the Future thing, where there are a, a lot of these uh, adult elements that you would think... But Back to the Future, there are things that I can understand go over someone's head. I don't know, you're talking about like going back to the 1950s, where uh, things are a lot more conservative. You're talking about pre, pre-sexual revolution America. Yeah. You know, um... So the mom being like, you know, like I saw your name on your underwear and all that kind of stuff like that. You know, it's it's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the expectation is for things to go as right. as, as in that way. Weird thing, mm-hmm. and I only say weird literally because I, I mean I don't understand it. Okay, I always assumed that when Dan Aykroyd he says it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, is the thing that popped into his head. Like it's a ramp up, like it's a build up to some big reveal. <laughs> But it's a fictional character for the movie that never existed before the movie. Right. He makes it sound like it's a mask on everyone would know. And, like, I, I always got it confused for the Pillsbury Doughboy when I was a kid. I always got it confused for the Michelin Man. Yeah. Well, you know, so I, I, I'm I sitting here wondering, like, like, for a creature that you don't actually know culturally as anything friendly, but, like, you could associate it with Pillsbury and you could associate it maybe with the Michelin Man. I don't remember if that was a thing before then or not. But you really... It's like if I made a joke right now, like, oh my gosh, Curtis. I knew this was going to happen. I finally realized who's coming through that door. It's Mr. Handy. <laughs> or you would go like, what? And then like... A dude who looks kind of like Mr. Clean, maybe, <laughs> walks through the door. Would everyone be laughing? What I, I What know. is the reaction that someone I would know. have to that originally? I don't... I, I want to know really badly if anyone has, you know, like, wants yeah. to drop it on Twitter, like, in response to when we post this, like... Right. What was the reaction of the theater to the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man reveal? I don't know. It... it I I don't know. I, I probably got a laugh because when I was a kid, I laughed at it. And, the, and the, despite not knowing who it was, because like the idea of the destroyer being this kind of like fluffy marshmallow creature is like that. Yeah. No, I understand why it plays comedic. Yeah. But I don't understand the reveal moment. Editing. Okay. You don't see the thing before he tells you what it is. He tells it to you like you're supposed to know what it is. Okay. I see what you're saying. And then you see it. Right. 
It's it's an it's just an interesting editing choice. I, that's two out of three. Okay, okay. cool. Um, so I I just I just want to know how, how that actual moment played out originally before anyone had seen Ghostbusters. Okay. I feel like there's two histories of Ghostbusters. There's its history as a cultural icon mm-hmm. and its history as a movie. And the way people reacted to it and the legacy afterwards as being a creative property versus an intellectual property. Right. Well, from what I see, like Ghostbusters 2016 is, it's played very comedic. Like it, it, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's a comedy first with some horror elements. What I get from Ghostbusters 1 is that it's a horror movie first with some comedic elements put in. Like the only characters that are not played straight are the original Ghostbusters. Everyone else plays their role straight, um, and they all take the ghost very seriously, even the... Well, I would argue everyone in Ghostbusters 1984 plays the concept straight. Right. That's what I'm saying. But the, yeah. the, the, the only wacky characters in Ghostbusters 84 are the Ghostbusters themselves. Everyone else... No, I, I don't think they're... Like, I don't think they're playing the characters as wacky. I feel like Dan Aykroyd very sincerely sees this as an enterprise that they care about. Harold Ramis is an isolated loner who does not, you know, understand when someone's trying to approach him romantically and is so focused on work that he needs someone like Dan Aykroyd to help him focus socially, like function socially. Right. Uh, Bill Murray, he might be winking a little bit at the camera in a sense. Yeah. But as far as a character who doesn't take himself seriously... Mm Mm-hmm. And is the one who comes in as a skeptic to what they're doing. Yeah. So it is playing it straight that you would not take this seriously. So you're like, yeah, whatever. My friends are going to go to this building where they claim there's a haunted house and they're about to wave a bunch of lights around and I have nothing better to do. Sure. And then you actually see something and your only way to cope is to blow it off as something not seriously. You know, it's so to the character that Bill Murray knows how to play. Like Mm -hmm. that I feel like it's him... Being himself, honestly. Okay. Ghostbusters... Afterlife is coming out this year. Yes. And I honestly... I'm I'm very curious about these two camps of people. That there is one camp of people who enjoyed Ghostbusters 2016. Mm-hmm. And enjoys Ghostbusters... And is going to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife and potentially, you know, just enjoy it. But then there's a camp of people who are like, oh, you never did anything original. And then in 2016, you never even did anything that's multiple genres or or focused on the characters first. It was, it was like comedy as a priority. Mm. So I'm kind of curious whether or not the creative team behind it, even though I know it's it's Ivan Reitman's son... Yeah. Uh, working on it. And I, I know how much of a, a passion project it must be for most of the people involved. Um, I'm really curious if they understand the commentary that people have had rejecting the the other follow-up projects to Ghostbusters. Right. And what they're going to be able to do to take this concept and do something with it. I go back to watch Ghostbusters more than I do Ghostbusters 2. Uh, I don't know. There's One of the big things I would say that I wanted to talk about was the writing on why I go back to watch this one. Uh, so, for example, that scene with Bill Murray, 
he is already engaging in supernatural, understanding that there are other people that believe what he doesn't believe. Right. And he is using that to manipulate someone for his own gains. Yeah. You know everything you need to know about him without anyone ever having to describe him, another character. Right. I I think that's... Yeah, I I, I think that's a big reason why why, why I go back to the first one specifically is because... uh, the writing and the special effects, like I, like, I, I always have like the claymation, uh, like they, the is is always something to to uh, to uh, go for. Like it, it's 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 a product of its time, but it it uh, I, I always get the feeling every, like it's still there. Every digital effect in the book is in this movie. I feel like yeah, uh, and then there's there's just that that magnificent. <laughs> That magnificent special effect scene where they reconstructed the entirety of the front of the hotel just to have a studio break up the street because supernatural oh, right. things are going on. Right, right, right. Just, just they didn't even they didn't even and see that set there. design. I was thinking about differences in like practical effects, uh, rotoscoping for uh, the the power packs, yeah. uh, this digital. Uh, overlaying of practically filmed Slimer, mm-hmm. um, you know, like like everything, everything from was never there and completely created in a computer, all the way to built the whole world over again practically to make it do what you want it to do. Like, right, like that's 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 kind of why I I always go back to Ghostbusters. Chaplin from nineteen ninety five, starring. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Chaplin. Yes, and one thing—the one thing I that is to my memory before I back off—is him going to painstaking lengths to research Chaplin, and then being able to pull off that move. Oh, the 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 ballet move, a uh, plié. So I decided to watch this movie because I I, I just watched the, the Great Dictator for the first time and it got me interested in rewatching Chaplin. So I found it on Amazon Prime and rewatched it. And go on. Nowadays, what I would expect a movie like Chaplin to be would be a movie kind of like a Ed Wood or a, what's oh god, my my name is Dolomite, where 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 Eddie Murphy play played a played a Rudy Ray Moore. Where you get to go into the makings of, of of how he went about making his uh his uh movies and 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 like the history behind him. They go into the history behind him, but his movies take a back seat to all that. It, it's 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 more of like oh, the, this was nineteen ninety two. Sorry, yeah. The whole thing with the Chaplin is it goes through through his life story and his specific experience with the film industry and how he got into it and. Uh, how how he became a a a director and what film means for him and the whole culmination of of this is him doing is, is him making the great dictator during the rise of Nazism in uh oh God that was it the the nineteen forties people criticize this for being sometimes like a, a quote unquote run of the mill biopic um I if I remember right my impression of the movie. That it was as much a look at the de- development and history of, of movie making and change in that respect as it was about Charlie Chaplin specifically. Yeah, I think so. Because uh... his perspective is someone as a star before stars were really a thing is is kind of 
unique to him. I mean, the, the, the character, the tramp, was just the thing that pops into your mind immediately when you think of Charlie Chaplin. Right. That was the point, the big point of controversy when sound came along. When talkies are becoming a thing, uh, Chaplin is uh, having this problem with one of his films. He doesn't know how to depict a certain thing without uh, that 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 uh, thing being how can a homeless uh, woman mistake the tramp for a rich man? Uh, and the 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 conversation is, well, we have him tell her, and he's adamantly against that because the tramp is supposed to be a silent character, not supposed to talk, and he is adamant that uh, if if the tramp ever talks, the tramp is dead. So when when going into the great dictator, uh, he makes this uh, this uh, claim that if the tramp has to die, then he's going to die saying something that I believe in. And so the whole so the culmination of the movie would be making the uh, great 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 dictator, but specifically the speech at the end. There are segments in the film where they pay homage to uh, Charlie Chaplin's uh, work, like there, like when. Uh, you have like his style of choreographing a, a scene for comedic intent. It's very silent. Uh, there, there are certain shots that directly reference the kid. Uh, like when he's going through a, a divorce of one of his wives and he has to take the film to a, a random hotel to edit the rest of it. The whole entrance thing is kind of like a short Charlie Chaplin movie where it's, it's silent. It's, it's kind of like the, the, the editing is sped up and the movement is sped. Like Chaplin getting out, out of a wheelchair to help move the wheelchair upstairs. Like, that's something you would see in a Charlie Chaplin movie, and then he gets back in it and is wheeled inside. Mm. Yeah. And then I know a big deal, that that ballet move is, is such a big deal because apparently it was something very difficult to pull off and took a lot of training and was down to how physical Charlie Chaplin was committed to being with his performances. So Robert Downey Jr. committing so hard to pulling right. that sort of thing off. And I know there's a lot of commentary about that him pulling that off in mid-speech when when i watched the great dictator like there were several moments in that movie where i i almost felt like i was watching rob um, uh, where i almost felt like i was watching robert downey jr again because the, the two look very similar and then like they, they, it goes to how, how the, the the lengths that robert downey jr went to not 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 just getting that that that, that a pirouette down but kind of like emulating how mannerisms takes exactly, everything yes yeah. all that stuff and so like I, I almost feel like the roles that Robert Downey Jr. plays kind of reflect his state of being at, at the time. Because this is 92. I think he's already going down that kind of drug addiction. And Charlie Chaplin, I, I don't know for sure. But like Charlie Chaplin... This Chap is hot off the 80s. He was in John Hughes movies and stuff. Right. Like he's barely, you know... But like Charlie Chaplin is, is in real life is a character who is addicted to his work. He can't stop working. And so I, 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 I'm kind of There's wondering... some kinship? Uh, yeah, that's the... Yeah. Finally, uh, continuing a is the summer months are heating up at least out where where we are. I finally, for the first time in my life, watched Waterworld. Never seen this Waterworld. I am I, I'm looking forward to hearing Curtis what's in Waterworld because we can't talk about in the first five in the first five minutes of this movie. Any fears I had about any end of the world situation that involves the polar ice caps melting mm -hmm. was replaced with the genuine spirit of 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 vigor and excitement for the ingenuity of the human spirit and our ability to overcome <laughs> things that are wrong. Okay. You know, the opening moments of this movie are a man who has created a machine. And who knows what our machines will look like in the future in a world where we have so much more 
water travel to work with and, and not as much land mass and, and all that kind of thing in this this hypothetical future just just seeing just the little craft that he's put together that he's able to survive on and whatnot the fact that he has a desalination device so that he can drink his own pee and it's clean water the fact that he uses that that clean pee water to keep a plant alive on his boat because that plant will give him some form of continual sustenance as he cares for it the relationship between man and the earth and all of that within the first five minutes all of this was going so hard in my mind about what this movie was going to be like and then i found out he's not a human (laughs) and i was like all right and the movie just kind of kept going and was exciting. And, well, I'm subjective. Buzz. But there were explosions and there were action set pieces and whatnot. But I spoke about this, I think, when I saw Tron Legacy. Okay. How I feel like that movie's big action set piece that could help follow through on themes that are set up is at the beginning of the movie. And the actions that that build are, are lower stakes and smaller throughout that movie. Okay. Like, it tapers off rather than building. It's the same thing for Waterworld to me. It begins with a character... It, by the way, this movie is essentially the Road Warrior. Oh. Just on water instead of Earth. It's a character who, for whatever reason, you know, is the, just like traveling the wastelands. Uh, You know, gets into a, a blocked-off facility by proving he has a resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earth. So he may have seen dry land, so there's something valuable about him. Okay. Uh, to give them so that they can, you know, study. Because it's a big deal if someone can find dry land in this world. Um, turns out he's part fish, so he can just go swim down to the ground, grab some dirt, put it in a bucket, come up, let it dry out on his raft, and then he has earth. So, no one can swim that deep. We don't have technology, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, he goes into this community. Bad guys come and attack the community for their resources while he happens to be there. Ooh. Ends up with one adult and a kid... And the kid is special to the bad guys, but that's not exactly Road Warrior, but still. He's on the run from the bad guys. They have a confrontation with the bad guys while they're on the quote-unquote road, you know, on the water and whatnot. And then they end up uh, near the bad guys for the climax of the movie. And then he kind of comes into their life, gets the characters where they need to go, and has to go on being a drifter out of their life. It's it's He's very, very much Mad Max. Yeah. Kevin Costner's character. He even He doesn't even have a name. In the... Fan developed cut. He is given a name at the end, but he does not have a name. His character, so it's very you know, lone gunner rolls into town, western sort yeah. of story. Um, so I was just a hundred percent looking forward to this for the action set pieces and the splashing in the water and all this kind of stuff. And they seem a little bit focused on waste. There's a, there's a time where he's in a pit that is. Somehow, someone in that set design just knows exactly what it's like when you mix human waste together. And it was a little bit, a little bit, a little bit real for me. Like, that's okay. all I'll say. All right. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, those, after, after that, you have other, you know, water splashing, fresh water versus salt water. Um, sex is also a big deal to people in this movie. Everyone seems to think you have to trade sex because it's one of the only services you can trade for something like that. So... Multiple different times there, there, when, when Kevin Costner first arrives, he's like, Hey, you're someone who is not, you know, part of our small community, one of our families. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you something if you leave us with a child that could potentially further our future. So here's our, you know, like daughter went on. When he refuses, that's how we get found out that he's not all man, like a man, mm-hmm. like that he has gills behind his ears. Right. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the lead woman that he's with offers sex in order for him to let him stay on his boat. And then he's like, no. And, you know, then people are trying to rape people. And it's just like, ah, oh. it's, it's a movie that I fully expect to just be action adventure mm-hmm. that turns out to be so much more like, I'm going to use the word dirty in like the physical sense. Okay. So like, kind of like grimy a bit. Just like, like literally everyone is notably unclean in the movie. Like, cause they only have salt water mostly to bathe themselves. Fresh water yeah. is a precious commodity, so they can't often bathe. So you, you, you're talking about waste a lot in the movie. You're talking about, um, you know, like, it's like near rapey t- soliciting sex, which is, you know, not, not again. So I don't mean dirty in a bad sense. I mean it in a descriptive sense. Right. So it's just like and then you get down to like the rusty villain's ship where they're literally ripping holes off the side of the ship to make bullets so that mm-hmm. they can you know like it's it's everything is it was so i don't know the world i want to know so much more about this world i i really what i really want to see is a prequel to waterworld that explains how the survivors are not just like, uh, they call them, I think they call them the smokers. Or, or the, like, the bad guys. Okay. Um, I really wanted to see the origin of how some of the human species that survived are not just the people who prepared for the end of the world. Okay. And so you basically, what you would have is a story about how the shores of, of the earth are disappearing. Mm-hmm. And we're very close to, basically, everywhere you walk is a foot underwater. So imagine this world, but everywhere you walk is a foot underwater, no matter how far inland you go. Oh, God. And basically, like, Florida, Atlanta, and all that kind of stuff is all gone. You know, these are all already, like, under sea level or whatever. So, the last humans who have been able... they, they would The people who would have been able to relocate to get to the contained places left that you can still live on are the people who would have had the resources to go to. Mm-hmm. So all your poor, all your criminals, all this kind of stuff are going in there. But you're still going to have your poor and your criminals in these resources. So what I imagine happening is a story where the criminals of the world are being considered to be left behind. Okay. The... The engineers and those with money in this world are getting ready to set sail on the last few crafts that are going to go out on a voyage. And when they return to this land, all that's going to be left is the small society, like the kind that we see in the movie Waterworld, mm-hmm. that's going to be above the water level by their calculations. So everything will have been drowned and buried okay. by water. So they're going to go set out, and then by the time the ships return, all that's going to be left is the little hovel-like area for them to live in. And so the the threat is they're basically agreeing to leave everyone in society who they deem not worthy behind to die, including prisoners who are in a prison, so they're going to be drowned in the building. And so the story is an outbreak. Okay. And the war that takes place on the shores of the last piece of Earth to be on the vessels that are going to save humanity. Okay. And so it sets up this potentially ongoing series where you you maybe understand a little bit about why there are some mutated people. We don't really know why this guy has gills or whatever that's never really gone into. He thinks maybe he has some people out there, but we don't know. And um, you'd have 
the villains, the smokers, the beginnings of these people on these vessels that take off, like maybe one of them or whatever, like a big sort of battleship type pirate themed kind of thing you could have go on. And you just like the reason why the survivors are not all the privileged intellectuals, mm-hmm. just like that story on how you end up there. Cause the, they kind of imply that maybe society has been lost. It's been so long, mm-hmm. like papers are rare commodity, but then someone's got like a box of Crayola crayons and a National Geographic still intact. So it hasn't been hundreds of years. Even though at some point I think they try and imply it's been hundreds of years. Because like they're, they're writing in a language that's no particular language. And at one point they note that some of the characters are speaking... Portu... It's a, it's a hybrid between two countries. Okay. The language that they're speaking. So it's so, like... Let's see. But I feel like what you would have is... A couple decades of society relocating itself because the shores are being covered, like Italy's gone, all that kind of stuff. Right. So people are speaking hybrid languages and whatnot, and the world is already becoming the world it is in Waterworld, and then they take off. But that's what I want to see. I want to see something that is... I want to see a big, splashy, epic action-adventure. Okay. And I would watch Waterworld again to get that. Um, I'm just... there. I know there's a lot of negative reaction when the movie initially came out so you know the i i've only seen like a clip of Waterworld, and it was the uh, the the clip i saw was the scene where you said they discovered that kevin costner's like a fish person mm-hmm. my thought was okay so it's been hundreds of years and people are slowly evolving to adapt to the water that's interesting Apparently it's I, I can't not that. tell. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, like that was my initial thought when I saw that. Everything that he collects, he mm. doesn't believe there's actually dry land anywhere because everything he collects, he gets from the depths of the ocean. And he takes someone down to swim down and you see, you know, decayed skyscrapers. Mm. And um, so everything he's gotten has to have been rotting underwater with water damage. Yeah. And then not destroyed. So it can't have been hundreds of years. It has to have just been a couple decades. Well, dang. That's a that's a thing. Yeah. But, you know, that's not saying that you don't have the potential for some sort of mutation, intentional or otherwise, some kind of something going on. Um, the uh, little girl in that is the girl who ends up being uh, the love interest in Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Um, I'd be interested in seeing other work. From her. Okay. But that's I, another one interested, yeah. so, you know. Alright, well. Um, and then Criminal Minds. One of the lead detectives in Criminal Minds is the woman who's with uh, Kevin Costner. Okay. And um, that's the thing. Everybody takes the premise as seriously as you might expect them to. Including Dennis Hopper, who you would expect to be, you know, very campy. <laughs> okay. Um... And, of course, he does yeah. take a very campy approach to it. And I did point out when I was watching it that it, it kind of sort of felt different and possibly at odds. Because, on the one hand, you're looking at a group of people that are trying really hard to commit to being a starved society of people who are desperately upset by the idea of seeing someone who's seen Earth and mutated and trying to play the reality of this world truthfully. Mm-hmm. Then you have Dennis Hopper playing a character who you could have just plucked right out of Blue Velvet or anything else he's ever played 
Okay. And so you don't get the sense that he's lived... I didn't get the sense that he's lived in this world and had to live by its rules. Okay. So that was one thing that I, I did want to say about the movie. But um, if you want to see somebody shoot a grappling hook onto something and do a zip line through the air and splish splash around in the water and blow stuff up, then watch Waterworld. Thank you guys uh, for coming back to this film not rated. Um, again, I'm Eric, and you can find me on Twitter at High Contrast FLM. I am Curtis. You can find me on Twitter at 90s Gamer 407 and on Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment. And uh, remember, we are a branch of the Music City Drive In Podcast Network, so head on over to the MusicCityDriveIn.com and check out any of the other stuff because they're all amazing people. Thank you for your time. Mm-hmm.